Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your host, Ben Husson, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to Sports, Clicks, and Politics. Sorry for the slight delay. I'm still working out this new software uh, thingy jing thingamajigger, and uh, we're a little bit late. So uh, thank you for your patience, Mr. Husong. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for joining us. It's what I do. You're I'm the man. Patient. You're the man. Um, don't say that out loud. You might end up having to quarantine. <laughs> um, how was your weekend? My weekend was wonderful. Do anything uh, legal? Of course. Excellent. Who amongst us hasn't? Uh, nobody. Right. If you think uh, you're the one, you should see how many laws are on the books. Guaranteed, you've done it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I liked what is now an act of defiance in today's standards because it is the saddest acts of defiance ever. Like little things, like maybe I want to go out to dinner with my family of six. I can't, by the way. That's what's wonderful. However, family gatherings, act of defiance, not shaving. Act of defiance because the CDC wanted to go away and do away with no shave November. Like, this is the dumbest form of protest ever. Dumbest. And yet here we are. And here we are. Uh, I don't know what the right protest is, but uh, I guess we'll just keep it, figuring it out on the fly here a little bit. So, yeah, uh, we had a kind of a exciting weekend in the NFL. Um, I mean, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe yeah. the best game of the week. Your Buffalo Bills and the uh, Arizona Cardinals right down to the last two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, that was was a tough one. That was a great game. Awesome game. Truly. It it was remarkable to watch. It was a lot of fun. Um, It was unfortunate that they somehow managed to pull down the Hail Mary at the end of the game. Um, Very, very sad after uh, Josh Allen orchestrated a great drive coming down. Thinking, all right, another game winner. Here we go. And then somehow Kyler Murray... Runs in circles, avoids everybody, slings the ball 50 yards in the air, and DeAndre Hopkins. He, he was a man amongst boys there in the end uh, Yeah, you know what? Maybe. Maybe. It's, it's hard to argue. Like, listen, I wasn't even mad when it happened. No, I, I was. I mean, I said, Allen made a great play. They just made a great play right. the whole drive right before that. So it was a right. great game, really good game. Uh, neither one of those teams are now in the in the. Uh, the power five here at, at sports clicks and politics. So, well, they're not in the bottom five either, but no, I think they're closer they to the top yeah. five than the bottom. Um, no change top to top five here. The undefeated Steelers remain undefeated with your uh, undefeated Pittsburgh. Steelers. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you. I got noticed in my hat the other day. Somebody, when I was out walking the dogs, somebody's yeah. like, you're a happy man. I'm like, yes, thank you. So you have no idea how unhappy I am in some regards, but so here we are, <laughs> uh, nine and oh for the Steelers. First time ever. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, obviously you know, you can start playing for positioning. If you're the Steelers, you start playing for those first round buys, which are hugely important. You try to stay healthy, right? At this point, right? Um, especially with the Ravens' loss, they've opened up a sizable uh, three game lead now with the game in hand against them. Um, the division is all but theirs, so really, it's just a question of about positioning. Uh, they, the Chiefs, seem like the uh, other team that they'll be positioning for in the uh, with the number one seed there. So uh, they don't play each other on the schedule. I feel like I looked once before and I didn't see that. So the Steelers can hold serve and win out. Obviously, which would be you know ideal. Ideal. They would hold on to their division. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's. Uh, I think it's the AFC. I said I was telling you this before. Is the the AFC is kind of uh, maybe it's because they're playing each other, but the NFC is 
flipped the script a little bit, and now I have uh, outside the Steelers and the Chiefs, uh, three NFC teams have made the uh, the or and two of them are debuting on the Power Five. The Saints with a bullet to number three. Hard to argue, although depending on what happens to Drew Brees' ribs. That's right. We'll see what happens with their quarterback situation. Not that I'm a Jameis Winston doubter. He's, like I said, he's, you know, he's a young Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's like a younger, more talented Ryan Fitzpatrick. Sure. He just gives you the same sentiment, right? You're in the the game either way on team you're on. Because he can throw a pick six with the best of them, and he is talented for sure. Absolutely. um, But I have them in there at number three for now. Uh, Then the Packers have sneaked back in. At number four, uh, they are getting healthy. Uh, Aaron Jones is back. Uh, Devontae Adams is borderline unstoppable. Yeah. Um, and then I, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yeah, you were mind. kind of like a renaissance man a couple weeks ago thinking they were, they were there, but now it's you were hard. just ahead of your time. Yeah, looking at that team is hard to deny the talent. Absolutely, right. And, They're and, loaded. Right. And I listen, they looked bad against the Saints. There's no getting around that. And they had a bad game, which is going to happen. Every team's going to have them. Um, but I, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. And they have both sides of the ball. Are just There's so few weak spots on the team. It's hard to contemplate that there are 28 teams better than them right or I'm sorry that there's that they're not in the top yeah, five. No, I, yeah, I think they're right there. Like I said, I, I, you know, the Ravens with their loss last night kind of fell out of the top five um they still might be better than some of those teams but i don't know you lost to the patriots yesterday so it's hard to give me too much too much credit here i mean don't talk now but the patriots are on like a bit of a win streak after their last are the dolphins and the bills tied atop the uh, afc east no not yet but assuming that the dolphins win this coming week against denver then they will be tied Mm -hmm. because the bills are on by this week gotcha gotcha but the bills have a game in hand uh so we'll see i'm i'm Curious to see how this shakes out, and this might be my Buffalo homerism. I don't, I think the Bills are clearly a better team than Miami. Like, if you gave me the objective analysis between the two, I would say the Bills are a better team. They're more complete top to bottom. I'm with you. And I'm not as, I'm not ruling out the idea that Tua is fantastic. He very well may be. I've just learned through years of pain and suffering of quarterback changes, never, ever, ever make any decisions based on less than four games out of a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they'll, they'll, you mentioned this before and maybe about somebody else, or maybe it was about Tua that they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll game plan after they figure out what his strengths are, what he likes to do, where he likes to read, what he likes to, you know, in certain defensive situations where he tends to go and then they're going to set him up and he's going to have to adjust and whether or not he can adjust will determine how good he's going to be. So, but they got to be excited in Miami, right? I mean, they're, I can't imagine anybody, Dolphins fan, zero Dolphins fans thought that they were going to be vying for first place in the AFC East through ten weeks of NFL. So, I don't think any of them thought that either. Not even, not, not even like to his mom. Like, I mean, nobody, no. not, nobody. The, the Dolphins have legitimately come out of nowhere. I feel like, yeah. Uh, so, I think the Dolphins actually have a fairly talented team. Don't get me wrong. However, I think that if you're relying on a quarterback to go fifteen of twenty-five for one hundred and sixty-eight yards and route to victory then something is not going to line up, and there's only so long you can do that for, especially when you're playing against teams that are as good as what the AFC has. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm going to include the Bills in that, but it's the Bills, it's the Steelers, it's the Chiefs, it's the Ravens. Uh, There's a lot of good teams in the AFC that you're going to need to be able to go and do. Now, I I know they beat Arizona last week, and and Tua looked great. Again, I I think the four-game rule is a good one because – 
it usually is going to take defenses somewhere between three and five games to get tape on you and figure out your tendencies. And that's when defensive coordinators, that's what makes the really great quarterback so remarkable is that there is all the tape in the world on them and they can still come out and beat you. They, yeah. You can know every one of their tendencies and it doesn't matter. Yeah, because they know if what, they're, what you're trying to take away and they'll figure out what's available. So, um, so what about the not-so-top five uh, of the NFL? I don't know. Do you have anything else at the top of the, uh, the board here? I feel like we got a bunch of really good teams at the top of the, the, the field here in general. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting group of quarterbacks, I feel like, at the top, which is always fun. And obviously, it's, the NFL is a quarterback league, so it feels like these teams aren't going anywhere as long as these quarterbacks stay healthy. What about the teams at the bottom? So first, to finish off that thought, I feel like there's eight teams you could legitimately put in the top five. And I wouldn't really argue either direction of like, yeah, they're all that close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Now, once you go to the other side, the bottom five is making itself more clear. Number one is remain number one and probably will remain number one throughout the year. Your New York Jets, they are, even when they don't play, it's somehow still embarrassing. Um, However, what's that? It's a win when they don't play. It, it's the closest they'll come. They, they, statistically, they have to win a game, right? Like, they have to. There's only been two teams ever that have gone 0-16. I'm not ruling it out, but I'd say the odds are not in their favor for that, although they deserve it. Um, second place, rounding in, I got the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am completely underwhelmed by them. I'm a little bitter that they benched Gardner Minshew, even though he was not good, but he was so fun. Um, so, And they're just they're, – they're not – there's no, there's nothing there. They have some young players, like some young pieces, but yeah, they're right. They're, 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 they need a quarterback to kind of bring it all together, if anything. So yes, and then I've got the Denver Broncos, which, uh, despite their, you know, thrilling victory over the uh, Patriots a few weeks ago, are demonstrating more and more and more that they are not, in fact, getting the job done. Uh, they're not going to be a good team. They're, they're gonna, they're on the clock, as you yeah. like to say. Yeah, they're, they're playing for next year. And so I did take the Giants out of the bottom five this year. They played good. I, I thought they played good this week. There's a legitimate chance they're going to win that division. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's them or the Eagles, right? And now they just beat them. So, I mean, yeah. I, you know, the Eagles, with that weird tie, they, they feel like they have like a game and a half lead or something weird in there. Obviously, they have a, a – a, their schedule their, – their standings are a little bit off because of that tie. But I, the Giants looked better than the Eagles yesterday for sure. Agreed. Um, I, yeah, I'm. I mean, I don't know if I'm be excited if I was a Giants fan because I mean, there's some teams in the NFC that are just going to beat up on the Giants. But hey, division it, titles, division title. No you doubt. get that. You get a home playoff. Game. No doubt. No doubt. Then anything can happen. So the last two, and I don't care what order you want to put them in. Are I, I'm going to go with the the Dallas Cowboys are the next worst team, followed by the Washington Football Team. I remembered this week. You're welcome that uh, they are the bottom two. There's a pretty good chance the Eagles are going to end up in this bottom five by the end of the year at this point, or the Giants, one or the other. We're going to start having a ranking that whole division as just one unit. It's bad. I mean, it's. I'm trying to recall the last time a division was this bad. Especially since I don't think it was supposed to be this bad. Right. I mean, the Eagles and the Cowboys were considered playoff teams, I thought, mm-hmm. and maybe, I don't know, outside Super Bowl you know, if the Cowboys pulled it all together, but they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. The AFC East was awful for years. However, they had the Patriots. So there was at least the balance. The other three teams were just a rotating dumpster fire, and the Patriots were in charge. And they did that for years upon years, and now it's, 
I mean, we got some balance back. And even as bad as the Patriots look to me, like, they're not awful. They're, they're okay. They're just a far cry from what they once were. Right, yeah. I just don't think they're going to – Cam is just not consistent, right? So they're just not going to be consistent. They're going to rely on whether or not he has a good game or not. And sometimes they're going to win and sometimes they're not. So, um, yes, I agree always. with that. I think that ultimately it's the same same issue I have with – uh, not necessarily Miami, but if, if your entire game is predicated around what they're trying to do to win, yes, it can work. But when you get into Arrowhead Stadium and you've got to go on the road, you're probably not holding that team to 10. Like, you're, you got to be able to score 35 points. Like, the defense in New England is not that um, stringent any longer. They're, they're yeah. missing too many pieces. Yeah. It's... And that, that's fine. Like they're still not a bad team, but I don't. I don't think they can go anywhere near what they are accustomed to. And I am not a believer that you know, Cam Newton with this cast of receivers and running backs. Well, they have some talent and they're young at this point. I don't. I just don't see it. I'm not a hundred percent sure how that all comes together in the year 2020. Are they are they poised well for the future? Sure. And I'm enjoying every game they win right now. Every game the Patriots win. This might come back to bite me, but it's because I don't think they're going anywhere against good teams. The great teams are not going to win enough to to really get to the playoffs and do anything. So all they're doing is what the Bills did forever, which is just right in the middle. They're going to end up at like 7-9, and 8-8, eight and eight, mid-tier draft pick, and that is purgatory. I can tell you as someone who existed there in fandom for 15 years, it's purgatory. Nothing ever gets better. You never get a number one. Everything is always a number 9-12 to 12 pick. And you just keep doing it over and yeah. over and over. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else on the NFL? Or you want to switch to the Masters? Let's switch it up. Dustin Johnson dominated pretty much. Uh, I don't know. If, I'd say 65, 68, 70, 65 with his four rounds. That's yep. pretty good. Two sixty fives is going to put you pretty close to the top of any any tournament. Um, and he was pretty much in control the whole way. So um, led on day one. Uh, I don't think he ever did not lead. He was pretty much there from the uh, get-go, and uh, deservingly so. I mean, the guy's still, uh, you know, world number one. Um, the, the Masters, the Augusta National is set up for bombers, and he's a bomber for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, congratulations to Dustin Johnson. So uh, he gets to uh, pick the meal next next year at the uh, the Champions Dinner. It's a big win. Yeah. All the way around. I listen. It was boring. I don't have a better word for it. It got boring by the time it was done. And, yes, I was on the losing end of a bet because of Dustin Johnson, so I wasn't quite as thrilled as everybody else's, but I am happy for him. Um, it was it, it was impressive. I mean, you're talking about Cameron Smith became the first player in the history of the Masters to shoot all four rounds in the 60s. So at least three under par every single round, not even an off day where he only made it to two under. And he was five strokes back. So you know, you just set this record for the first time in the 80-year history of the Masters Golf Tournament, and you're not even sniffing the lead. That's how good Dustin Johnson played. He was, he was untouchable. He was so in every, you know, he set a record. It's the lowest score ever posted in the Masters Golf Tournament. Nobody's ever hit it. And, you know, you could say course conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but it's not like he won by a stroke. I mean, yeah. he put up a 20 under, and if he had been pressured and, and going for things down the stretch, it could have been more. I mean, he just didn't need to keep his foot on the gas anymore. Yeah, no. He was like I said, yeah, you're, you're playing at that point. You're in control, and you're just playing to you know center the green and 
two no, putt two pots. That's right. That's so, it. Um, but it was different to watch the Masters in the fall. I mean, I didn't notice too much other than, you know, there's the one thing that I always love about the Masters is when you're watching one, you can hear it, like, because it's kind of like in a hole, uh, the, the, the roars of the crowd will, like, reverberate through some of the other holes. Yeah. <clears throat> so when somebody makes a shot or something off in some other hole in the distance, you can hear the roar, and there's just none of that. Um, it, it, and obviously there's no, you know, uh, 18th green. There's no, there's the, a lot of it was lost. Um, sure. we've been dealing with that all year. Um, but it was still fun to see the masters, uh, see Augusta national all in its glory and, uh, and you know, we'll, very good golf. Yeah. We'll do it all again in April. So hopefully, uh, everything stays intact and we can make that happen. So I'm excited already. Um, all right. Well, before we get into, I know we were going to talk a little bit about this, uh, lockdown. Did you see that, uh, the Department of Justice came out and uh, decided that Alex Acosta did not commit any wrongdoings, uh, just executed poor judgment in the sweetheart deal that allowed Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire sex trafficker, to hang out in a county jail for, you know, six days a week uh, at home. And, uh, you know. He getting, spent nights in the county jail. Yeah. Some nights. For that year, he was supposed poor to be. Poor judgment was the, uh, the yeah. determination for the Department of Justice. Do well, to answer any- your question, yes, I saw that because I'm friends with you. So <laughs> anything that happens in regards to this, I end up hearing about one way or another. Um, little quick backstory. You can fill in the gaps where I screw this up because I, I obviously defer you know more about this than I do. Uh, for those of you that, that don't recall or don't live the Epstein didn't kill himself um, mantra every day of your life, Jeffrey Epstein was arrested uh, back in 2008, if I'm not mistaken, on the year. Okay. Charged by a bunch of different underage girls of coercing and engaging in sexual activities with a minor. Um, Had, it was almost similar to a class action lawsuit at this point. If they had so many victims that had come forward and made the allegations that he was dealing with all of it, and it was really overwhelming, and it was one of those, it passed the common sense test to... Boy, if this is one hell of a coordination, if this is fake, like this is a lot of people that have no connection all coming together with one lie for a guy that was not a polarizing public figure. Nobody really knew who he was outside of the very wealthy, but okay. Uh, So they did all this. Uh, Alex Acosta at the time was the state attorney. Attorney General, yes. uh, State Attorney General, Southern District uh, Attorney for Thank Florida, you. I believe. Yeah, Southern, the Attorney for the Southern District. So these are federal crimes. So it comes to his desk, and he ends up making a deal with Jeffrey Epstein that said, "You for all of these crimes of all, we'll plead down all of them. We're going to give you one year in jail." eligible for a work release program so that during the day he could leave the jail, go to his office and conduct his normal business. But then he was supposed to come back to the jail at night and sleep there. There's some, let's call it discrepancies on whether that happened every single day or not, but that's neither here nor there. He was on work release. I'm just saying. What's that? Work. He was on work release. Yeah, he's on work release. So he gets to go and do all of his normal business in his nice office. And it's a little different than the jail that you or I would get to go uh, to. No doubt. Uh, if we were, certain things were alleged against us. But neither here nor there. So Alex Acosta, when he was under uh, the confirmation process to become Donald Trump's labor secretary, Correct. was asked during the vetting, okay, you were the one who gave this sweetheart deal to Jeffrey Epstein. Do you think that's going to be a problem? And he responded with something to the effect of, no, 
I was told Epstein is untouchable because he is intelligence. Yeah. So it's above him, my pay grade. Yeah, he was at his intelligence to, to back off. So. so to back off of him and not go down that road. So I would like to know if the Department of Justice followed up uh, with uh, Mr. Acosta and asked him who uh, told him to back off. And was that because maybe that person needs to be uh, investigated for uh, poor judgment. So you never ask the question you don't want to know the answer to. That's lawyer 101. Okay. And they do not want to know the no, answer to that know. question. I was you being know that facetious. full well. Um, so what's really now, listen, the flip side of this is Jeffrey Epstein put together the legal dream team, if you will. Ellen Dershowitz was on there. Uh, a couple other people that are brilliant legal minds of questionable ethical and moral character, but they're great criminal defense attorneys. And if you ever found yourself accused of a crime of which you felt that you were innocent, but didn't like your odds, it's exactly who you would want to hire because they are ruthless. They are incredibly intelligent and they know the law so well that they are the best criminal defense attorneys in the world. So you could make a case on the other side that said, well, we wanted to get something, you know, we wanted to, we didn't want to let him go. We were worried that we were, that he was going to get into character flaws of all of the witnesses, ruin the credibility and that all these attorneys were just going to keep doing this, drag this on forever. And then we weren't going to get a conviction. We wanted to get something. I'd be more inclined to buy that if it wasn't for the, basically this provision in the, um, the plea that said you couldn't be tried on any of this, like or any related crime, you couldn't be tried for. And co-conspirators. And any co-conspirator. I always forget that part. Yeah. Right. So anybody that you may Potential have... co-conspirators, too, yeah. I think actually is the definition of what they had in there. Potential co-conspirators. So right. anybody they want. Potential co-conspirators. So for those of you who've never watched our show before and are <laughs> unfamiliar with the list... There's a lot of very famous people. Yes, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, and several other very prominent individuals who are accused of going to um, Little St. James of the James. island, Jeffrey, Islands, Jeffrey Epstein's private island. Um, for those of you asking, no, Donald Trump, there's no record that he went there. Uh, apparently, Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump absolutely hated each other with a with an absolute vengeance for each other where they got to the point they were writing notes back and forth when something bad happened to the other one that just said F you and was signed. Like, that's the animosity these two had towards each other, which is, I think, kind of funny. Because yeah. Donald Trump is no choir boy, but the fact that those two hated each other, I've always found to be particularly branded funny. Yeah. Um, well, gang, gangs don't like each other, right? So That's it. And that's it, too. And, and to think about how, how petty you have to be to be worth untold millions to billions of dollars and the guy that you have like some weird competition with gets arrested so you write him a note that says f you and that's the whole note like it's just so petty that i can't help but laugh about it all right well i think i don't know this isn't petty but i think we're heading for lockdown 2.0 well hang on let's back up to we'll get into lockdown 2.0 but i want to stay happy for a minute not that this is happy news but with all of the coming out and saying like, "Hey, it's a it's a bad judgment." Is there poor any, judgment? Poor judgment. Yeah. Poor judgment. Is this the end of it? No, no. Maxwell's still arrested. I mean, I don't know. I would like to know more about the Acosta angle for sure because that is kind of what triggered the next two decades of abuse, right? So there was this chance to stop this. There was this chance to keep put an end to the to this. To the, and really help the victims, it never happened. And because of Alex Acosta's actions, we got another decade of victims uh, plus. So yeah. this is just one more example where the justice system has failed these ladies everywhere, everywhere. Every, every place they've turned has been 
has been, you know, they've been treated like low life citizens. So, sure. um, it's sad. It's disgusting. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I just know that, uh, I won't stop talking about it. All right. Now, uh, can we talk about the glorious lockdowns? I mean, the scientifically backed, completely useful, with no negative consequence answer to the virus. Lockdowns don't kill viruses. They do kill people. And small business. And economies overall. I think we're heading there. Um, It seems as though they're still wrapped up in these positive tests slash quote-unquote case numbers. Um, yes, I'm still going to use cases and quotes because not all positive tests are created equal. And if somebody's infectious and contagious, I would call that a case. If they're not, I wouldn't. Um, if they're symptomatic, I may call it a case. If they're not, I may not, but we're running these numbers off the charts because we're testing off the charts and we're getting these tests that nobody even knows if we're actually dealing with what we're, what the, the headlines say we're dealing with, um, but I think the governments are falling in line. Um, I think the president-elect has come off his national mask mandate position and says he's kind of just going to allow it up to the governors. And I see, saw something like the 16 Republican governors, or I don't know if they're all, they're how many more, but they basically said they're not doing a mask mandate. So, um, again, the masks have become political, just like everything else in this whole disease has become, could become political. So um, I don't know what to say. Like I said, I, I think... We've been talking about how terrible of an idea lockdowns are for weeks, months on the show. And, you know, we brought on people to kind of uh, enlighten people about uh, specifically the Great Barrington Declaration and how lockdowns are not a appropriate answer. Um, and they haven't shown to work. Um, I mean, some of these places that have been under these measures are also seeing increased cases. So, they seem to just keep doing the same thing over and over again without actually taking any consideration that there's damage being done outside. So, um, I don't know. It seems like they prioritize COVID deaths over all other deaths all over lives. And, uh, they're going to double down on the lockdowns. Yeah. This is where you're getting into the, you want the feeling that you can do something instead of doing the right thing. Um, and this is the problem. Do with, something, even if it's stupid. Right. This is the problem with politicians is everything is just do something and make sure you've got your hands on it and that you're involved. And it doesn't matter if it's making it worse. We'll spin it later. Um, here's the thing. It's not like when you and I talk about this and give our opinion, it's just something that we look at and go, well, this feels right. So we're going to go with it. It's generally because we started out with a question, did some research, started looking at studies, started looking at data, started looking at all these facts, and then went out and asked other people about it who know more than we do to say, this is what it looks like. What am I missing? What, what's, what's not adding up here? What about this? What about this? And then, you know, you discern out from there, where is the truth? Um, so when, when we say that lockdowns don't work, I mean, that is clearly what all of the available data indicates is that the the lockdowns do not stop the spread of the virus but they absolutely come with an increased level of harm to so many different people i mean look setting people into poverty is bad public health policy because there are all kinds of negative health effects that come from poverty so okay maybe people get out all of them or are some of these people now going to be stuck in a, in a cycle of poverty that they can't escape from? And I don't have the answer to that, but suicides, preventable deaths, overdoses, domestic violence, child abuse, um, 
the economic losses, people with special needs, people that have, I listen, even in a nursing home, people die from isolation. It, it, it's, this is well studied and well known. And all we're doing is forcing this on people. And no one wants to have even a second thought about, oh, well, you know, this is, well, this is what we got to do. No, it's not. This is nuts. The fact that we're still talking about it, and here's my guess, Biden's advisor came out and said four to six week national lockdown. First off, there's no shot that that's legal. But second off, my guess is instead of doing four to six, they're going to end up saying like three weeks to make people go, well, at least it's not four to six. And then you're like, okay, three-week national lockdown. Like, nope, sorry, that's illegal still. You cannot do that. That's insanity. You're basically sending everybody on house arrest? Like, you're, you get to say that is What's the point of having a Bill of Rights if this is allowed? Yeah, like I said, I don't, I think I agree with you that I don't think they're illegal, or I don't think they're legal. I, they're not enforceable either. So, I mean, you know, you'd have to pick and choose and, you know, whatever. I, it's, it's beyond a... Um, it seems as though they've just can't get out of their own way at this point. They, they, this, this is, they can't be wrong. They've, they've, mm-hmm. they've done this lockdown strategy from the beginning and this is the only strategy that they have. And I think back to your original point of there's only so much you can do to protect the community from a virus and still maintain a right. community. And we are past that and we are damaging the community at the expense of, Again, we've prioritized all lives that have to do with COVID over all other lives, and the all other lives folks are getting destroyed. Um, it's, like I said, it's frustrating to see governments just double down on a failed strategy. So I've been, I've been pretty vocal, and I'm not, I've been very vocal at masks. There's no data to indicate on a large scale wearing masks in public stops the spread of a virus, because it doesn't. I mean, I love when people point out of like, well, look at Thailand. Okay, yes. Assuming that Thailand, the only difference between Thailand and Europe and America was masks is just incredible to say. But okay, yes, the people wear masks much more common in Asian countries. No arguments. But if masks were this effective, why is it that Britain, France, and Germany specifically, and Italy, all these countries that have national mask mandates or everybody's wearing masks, the vast majority of the population is wearing masks and complying, they're seeing spikes. Sweden, Finland, a lot of the Nordic countries, they do not have rules on masks. They are, some cases, not even encouraged, let alone law. And they are seeing increases, but not to the same level that they're seeing in these other countries. And even with the lockdowns and social distancing and everything else. And at some point, let me be clear in my argument, I'm not saying that not wearing a mask will help stop the virus either. I'm saying it's not helping stop it. It's very different. It's not like if, oh, well, if we just go on and nobody wears a mask, then the virus will stop. No, but if we wear a mask, the virus isn't going to stop. We cannot stop it with any sort of efficiency, and you have to do the cost-benefit analysis on this. Now, I think masks are a very small intrusion into my freedom and liberty, whatever. I have no problem wearing it. I don't like it. I recognize it's stupid and that it has almost no effect whatsoever outside of very specific circumstances where you should wear a mask in close quarters, especially if you have any symptoms or have been exposed to anybody with symptoms. That's common sense and good, good reasoning. Where I, what, what troubles me and the reason that I keep sharing this information and spreading this around that says masks are not going to help is very simply because I know what's coming. 
and it's this national mask, it's this national lockdown that they're talking about, or the state lockdown 2.0 that we're going into again right now with restrictions on business, where these politicians actually have the balls to come around and say, well, if you guys would just wear masks, we wouldn't have to do this, but you brought this on yourself. Yeah, blame the people. And some of us are going back and going, no, that's not, no, masks, masks aren't working. We have over 80% of the population wearing a mask everywhere in public. It's been seven months. We have data from all over the world. There's no impact. It's nothing measurable. And we've tried this everywhere, and we're not getting the results that we want, so we're doing it again. Now, here's the thing. Eventually, yes, the virus will go away. So if you just keep mandating lockdowns and masks and the virus goes away, sure, eventually you won't be right, but you'll be able to claim it. So please understand, before you want to go and and disparage somebody who says masks don't work or I'm not going to wear a mask or anything else, most of the data indicates they're right. And let's go one step further if I'm allowed. Yeah. Um, all right, good. The reason masks work is very simple and very straightforward. A cloth mask over your face can reduce the spread of droplets coming out of your mouth, which can actually carry the COVID-19 virus on them, can hit somebody else, then they can get it into their mouth, their eyes, their nose, it gets in their body, and they can become infected. Absolutely true. The problem is that COVID spreads by means other than just droplets. It can more than likely spread through aerosols. It spreads through human-human touch. It spreads through all these other means that a cloth mask is going to have absolutely no impact on. So we've chosen to look at this one part of the overall virus and say, well, and even on this, even on the droplets, you're not talking about a guarantee. You're not talking about, like, it's done. You're talking about the range of improvement is somewhere between a 1% reduction and like a 25% reduction. Hence the argument, well, it's better than nothing. Right. So it's not a huge difference, even in this one tiny part of the overall picture. And we are literally ready to just kill each other now over what is at best case scenario, a 1% to 25% reduction in one aspect of how this virus spreads and has not been shown anywhere in the world to actually reduce the spread of COVID-19. Yeah, and they said they've been weaponized right. and they give a complete false sense of security. So all right. these people who actually think they're doing something good are putting other people at risk because they have a mask on. If they're concerned about this, they should be staying home. I think you just pointed out if you have symptoms, stay home. If you feel under the weather, stay home. Don't go out. Don't see other people. If you need to, it's an emergency. Okay, wear a mask and do the best you can. And stay away from people. And stay Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's. Like I said, the, the mandate is, is ridiculous. Like I said, if people people are adults and they know when they need to wear a mask or stay home, and that seems as though lost on our government officials who think we're all children. My problem isn't even with the government officials. It's with the people that will not do any independent research whatsoever, will not read. I get people sending me the same list of 70 studies that show mass work once a week. And my response every single time, now I've got it down, is just to say, you know what, I've read most of these. I haven't finished all of them yet, but I'm working on it. They all seem to show the same thing, which is that masks can help reduce the spread of droplets. Which study out of these 70 do you think does the best job of showing how masks can help spread community spread across an entire population? You know what I get this response every time? I'll get back to you. Of course you will. I'll wait. Let me give you a quick answer. None. Not one of them says that. They all say this. They keep studying the same thing over and over, which is a point that if I'm on, if we're debating this, all right, and I'm on the anti-mask side, I will concede your point. Masks can help reduce the spread of droplets. I'm not arguing that. And droplets can carry COVID-19. Not arguing. 
There are so many other ways that you're looking at what I'm going to call a rough estimate is 5% of the puzzle and saying, we solve the whole thing. And if you don't do it, the spread is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> what about this 95%? That's, it could happen any of these other ways. And, it, and you're, you're doing all these other things that actually have some harm. Shut up, science denier. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not like I've read the studies. This is just my ridiculous opinion that I came up with out of nowhere just to be contrarian because that's my thing. I'm cool like that. I appreciate your work. I mean, I, the problem is it's become almost a borderline obsession. And I, I always laugh when somebody that I have talked to about this and sort of laid it out and said, look, I'm open to new data, but this is what it says so far. They go to tell somebody else about it. And they're like, that'll cite 10 studies right now that explain why masks don't work. Like, no, don't leave with that. Like, <laughs> that's the wrong argument. No, don't don't say it that way. Uh, look, I wish masks worked so badly. I wish that the answer to stopping this virus was so simple that all you had to do was everybody put on a paper or cloth mask that you never had to clean or sanitize, and that wasn't a problem. And then you could just go do whatever you want. And the virus would stop spreading. That would be glorious. But it's yeah. not reality. No, not even close. So, so instead, and the only thing I care about with regards to masks, I really don't care about wearing one. I think it's stupid. I get very annoyed when I forget a mask and have to go find one or buy one or go back home and pick one up. It's all things I can deal with. Those are first world problems. What I find genuinely concerning is the way that they have been used to manipulate people into accepting more drastic measures from the government. If you hear about the government is going to turn around and do more restrictions, more shutdowns, shut down businesses at 10 p.m., limit the number of people that can enter a business and are forcing horrible economic devastation onto, onto society and onto communities, and your response is to say, well, why can't you idiots just wear your mask? You are part of the problem. The mask is not this silver bullet solution to everything. The mask should be used in these specific circumstances. And at some point, you have to accept we cannot stop a virus from spreading just by wearing a mask. It can't even have a meaningful impact. It doesn't. All of the data is in eight months we've been doing this all around the world. Anywhere you want to show me where they did a they hid masks and then a predictable amount of time later, the cases started coming down. Please send it. I'm in. Here's the reality. I look for it about once a week. It still hasn't come in. Look at what happened in India. Before you look at their case numbers, please understand, April 22nd, they instituted a national mask mandate, and the fine for getting caught without a mask was equivalent to one day's pay. So the people in India were not exactly dodging the law here, okay? They, they were following. All studies show they complied hugely. Check out their numbers, what happened throughout May, June, into July. It doesn't help the case. Like, no. And I, I don't know what to tell you other than, look, we have to be smarter in what we're doing, and we all should be on the same side of lockdowns are never acceptable. This is not good science. This is 100 years of epidemiological research that all concluded do not lock down over a virus. It will have zero impact, and you will do untold harm to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. You think it's bad here? Wait till you see what death rates look like in third world countries starting about three or four years from now. Wait until you see what this abject poverty that we are forcing on people is going to do. And let's start broadening our horizons and understanding that it's bigger than us as Syracuseans. Sure. Sure. Syracusians. Syracusians, New Yorkers, Americans, like everybody in the world is going to be impacted by what we have done. And if you are going to be on board and don't care and you don't even want to look at these negative ramifications that are going to come, at least stop short of trying to shame other people 
over, when you refuse to look at the data that doesn't support your opinion. At least draw short of that and get on the side of reality that says, hey, you know what? I don't know a ton about that. It's not something I've researched. We've almost never talked about election interference or if there was any fraud. You want to know why? Neither one of us have really looked into it. We don't know. (laughs) So we don't talk about it. eh, it, Maybe. Maybe. I don't know how I can prove it, so I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm I'm too busy on my current rabbit hole. I'm not going down that one. The Anunnaki? I'm in. I'm in. I'm I'm, I'm too far down that rabbit hole. Later. Oh, you guys are in for a treat later. (laughs) Tell you what. Um, Yeah, I'm totally. Listen, I could could all those sentiments. I wish I could speak as fluently as you in the uh, English language, my friend. Um, what do you think is going on in New York, though, specifically about the lockdowns? Do you think we're going to, uh, I think the governor is going to allow us to uh, cut turkey and, uh, I don't know, unwrap gifts in the holiday seasons? So again, I'm going to continue to engage in my saddest acts of defiance ever. And there is a 0% chance I will cancel any holidays this season. Now, Bear with me here before you call me a science denier and that I'm selfish and don't care about people. Just hear me out. What if I'm having a party and I got 30 people coming over to my house and we're going to have turkey and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then the day of, I get phone calls from three or four of them that say, hey, I'm feeling a little under the weather. What should I do? And my response is, we should stay home, obviously, because you might be sick, you dumbass. So stay home. Don't come here and go. And then, look, we'll see each other again soon. This isn't the end of the world. But rather than come and putting everybody else at risk, just stay home. No yeah. problem. And they're, then we can have responsible this responsible of you. Uh, it's weird, but it could happen. Wow. So if you tell me that I can't have Christmas with my family or Thanksgiving with my family over a virus that is serious, yes, very real, I'm not arguing. But I'm also aware of, like, look, if I'm not – at 36 years of age and perfectly healthy, and I have my wife is around the same age, also perfectly healthy. We have four healthy children. If I'm not shutting down Thanksgiving over the flu every year, I'm not shutting it down for COVID-19 for my family either. If I have other family members that are uncomfortable and they are in the more high-risk categories and they don't want to come, I support that and I encourage that. Here's the flip side. If they say they do want to come, I'm not going to do a thing in the world to stop them because it's not my place to tell anybody else how to live. You're invited. You're welcome. That's the first rule of my house. You're welcome. Anytime you want, please come. If you want to, great. And if you don't, no problem. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to call you like uh, any names or anything. I'm just going to say I understand. Makes sense. Good luck. Or hopefully we get this sorted out by next year. Yeah. Exactly. So what about you? Uh, I mean, I'm having Thanksgiving. Good. I don't, I wish I had enough people to come over and violate laws, but I probably won't. I'll probably just be happy to cook for two. There you go. Yeah. See, listen, you can come over to my house on Thanksgiving. We'll make sure we'll violate some laws. Are you putting mayonnaise on your turkey? I did this year. Oh, shoot. I shouldn't have said that. I might still, when we have a <laughs> gathering at our house, I will put it on one of the two turkeys that well, we cook. You know, you know what happened? Uh, uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, um, right now, my favorite uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is some like to call mooning. It's uh, up to about 16.7 as we speak right up. now. Hey, uh, <laughs> up to about 16.7 uh, and been steamrolling upwards all day, just like pretty much everything else. I feel like you saw me the market was up big. I haven't looked at it. Hugely. Uh, so, yeah, the, basically, the news on a vaccine that's now gotcha. uh, 95% effective, in addition to the one that came out from Pfizer last week that was 90% effective. Um, well, both of those are great for a, a virus that has a 99.97% percent effective uh recovery rate i mean i'm also going to go ahead and tell everybody you should hold off on getting too excited about a 95 or a 90 percent because it's so early on in the process I'm not telling you is it's this not the one you work. have to get two jabs for yeah both of them you need to get oh. two jabs oh, for good. and 
this is what I find more funny than anything else, I suppose, of like, okay, you're this excited, but still, historically speaking, the safest any vaccine has ever come to market is about five years. And so I, I'm very happy that we're working towards a vaccine. I think that's wonderful. I think it's a great thing. I'm very happy about it. I will not take it under any circumstances, nor will I allow my children to have it. I don't care if it's mandated. I don't care if it's a... I no don't care no the, ticket master for you. I, I don't care what the consequences are. The answer will be no. I, I, because it's the same thing. Look, I, I don't believe in mandating something like this anyway, especially when you have this specific of a threat to a specific group of people. But... I support anybody who wants to take it and feels confident and comfortable. God bless you. I I can't wait for you to be able to take that and go with it. But you're asking me to go into something that is, again, my children are at absolutely zero risk of COVID. Statistically speaking, please don't jump down my throat. Statistically speaking, 0.0% chance of any negative consequences to my children, all ages 7 to 11, of them having significant negative consequences from COVID-19. Are the odds 0.0% that they get nothing negative out of a vaccine? Or is it 0.1? Because that's higher. And that doesn't work out on a cost benefit. So there's no benefit. The costs, are, the risks are higher. And I would, I don't like the idea of a rush vaccine. Yes, I know medical technology is getting better. I still am on sort of a, let me see you prove it. I don't buy the first iPhone. I'm not getting the first vaccine, okay? I'm, I'm not the early adopter guy. I'm the, mm, let's see. Let's see how this goes. Seems uh, like a, a gun, uh, a reasonable decision from a uh, an adult uh, trying to take care of their own lives and uh, dependents. That's very. This might result in me having to move out of the state. I'm well aware <laughs> I, of that fact. I, like, it could I, come to that. I point. have. Uh, I'm not saying that I haven't uh, looked at some pieces of property. So I don't blame you. So, anyways, um, back to yeah. the Bitcoin idea, though. So, I don't think the vaccine has anything to do with Bitcoin going up, but it is going up. Um, so, Bitcoin, I think, is, I think a lot of people, there's two camps, I think, from my my average human being, not you, like the, those of us that have not been in on this for years and years. Back to, <laughs> vaccine. Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies, there's two groups that have an allure. So, the third group is the people that just don't care, which is probably most people, but the other two groups fall into a there's people that think it's cool and exciting and new and this hosp- and this prospect for huge gains and that you can go in there and try to make a ton of money. And then I think that was where it started out, most of the investors were. The other group is people that look at it as a hedge against currencies. That Bitcoin is, is now a place people can go to, whereas traditionally gold and silver were really the only places you would go to in the events of economic uncertainty. I'm not saying Bitcoin is at the same level as gold and silver, at least psychologically for people, but it's trending more in that direction. If people are starting to view cryptocurrencies in that light of, in times of true unrest, will this provide somewhat of a safe harbor? Absolutely. I think it does. And people call it Bitcoin, specifically digital gold, uh, because it's been, uh, again, a, a store of value. I mean, they've, um, you know, the, the long term, I feel like the long term path for Bitcoin is to become that currency that everybody wants. But I feel like it has to develop this store of value first. And uh, it is doing so. Again, we are at price levels we haven't seen since 2018. I wonder, uh, I asked our guest that we're going to have, and this is a good time to let us know, We our guest will be joining us uh, momentarily here, and he's a crypto uh, expert, if you will. So he's a software developer, Chuck Williams. Uh, he is also a host of, or co-host of the Crypto Show, and that's going to follow our little Bitcoin uh, wrap-up here. Um, so he will be able to answer some uh, specific questions about Bitcoin uh, even more than we can here. So, But the price action creates this... Uh, 
awareness. And uh, during the last run up here, it happened about this time of year where Thanksgiving was a huge run up in price in Bitcoin because the theory was that everybody was home uh, with their families talking about all the money they made in Bitcoin and that everybody was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And everybody basically uh, shared their link to buy Bitcoin. So uh, there was this melt up uh, for Thanksgiving uh, back in 2016, I think it was, um, whenever run up was. And here we are, maybe it was 2017. I can't remember now. Whenever the melt up was, was, it was, it was through Thanksgiving. We had this, uh, weird anomaly of people purchasing Bitcoin. I don't know that we're going to have that same experience this Thanksgiving because the government's trying to ban it. Maybe they're trying to ban it because, because of Bitcoin. All right. Even for you, that's going down. That's, that's a little far. I'm going to look into it. I, I, I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, God. But we are, like I said, it's 16, 16, 685 right now. Um, and this is debt to Bitcoin. Uh, most of the other cryptocurrencies are up as well, pretty big. Um, so all you guys who and girls who have uh, kind of paid attention to this are kind of seeing some of the rewards with that. So um, before I bring in uh, our guest interview, did you want to enlighten the crowd, the audience, with anything um, other than Bitcoin, lockdowns, vaccines, Mass. the bills? Um, we it again? was 2018 when it spiked up hugely. It went up so yeah, so the 16, Thanksgiving five. of 2017 would yeah. have been the one where everybody was kind of becoming new to it. Hang on. No, it was November 2017 into 2018. Perfect, so it was yeah. that that was that yeah. time frame where it started spiking up hugely. Um, no, not really. Like, look again. I say this every week, and I I just mean it. Like, look. Nobody wants the virus to win. Nobody is cheering for COVID to to do what it's going to do. So if you are thinking that people just don't care or that somebody's on team COVID, stop. And I actually listen. I've I keep getting called. I get called dangerous and all these other things. I'm like, look, COVID idiot. I haven't told anybody to not wear a mask. I haven't told anybody to go spit on other people or lick lick doorbell doorbells door yeah, handles sure. anything else. Uh, be smart. Be reasonably intelligent. But. The idea that if you're not open to seeing the data and then forming your own opinion, what are you doing? Like, why in the world everybody would tell you, hey, if there was one group of people that was going to promise you something and then not deliver, who would come ahead of politicians? Maybe uh, lawyers, but half of them are politicians. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking all of a sudden because they're in government. Now you're going, well, I mean, I, we, we should just trust the government. I've, Oh, my God, open a history book for the love of God. That has never been the right scenario almost ever. And especially not, listen, our government in particular here at the state, federal, regional level, I'm going to exclude city and county because I actually, uh, I have no bones to pick there. Statewide, nationalized, if you actually trust these people so blindly that you are willing to torch relationships and do their bidding on their behalf to say, yep, Cuomo's got to lock us down because you COVIDians won't wear masks. What in the world did this man do to earn that level of trust? He's vindictive. He's narcissistic. He is absolutely attacking people. He screwed up this response royally and then wrote a book about it to sell. And then he sold those dystopian posters that were something fresh out of a George Orwell book. It was amazing. And people still go, well, you know, we had a lot of hard decisions to make. Uh, Okay. But he still does. And he's not making the right decisions. And at some point, if we don't call him on it, guess what's going to happen? You know. Yeah. I don't want to know. It's going to keep happening. Sorry. So that's my, what was the word you used? Enlightenment. Enlightenment for the day. 
remember, we are all on the same side. We all want the same thing. And rather than yelling at somebody, if they say something you find controversial, I know this is a crazy idea, but just try it. Hey, I haven't seen anything to support that. What makes you think that? And then this is another crazy idea. Listen to the answer. Because a lot of times you'll find you're not that far apart from the other person. It's one or two key sticking issues that you can sometimes even agree to disagree on or say a wait and see, but you don't have to hate each other. You can literally just talk to each other about it, figure out where how much you guys actually agree on, and it's usually more than not. But instead we all, and I blame media, social media, and generally just people trying to score like one-up points of like, oh, you got roasted. Yeah, people love to dunk on everybody yeah, else. Yeah, like, no, just, just try listening. If you genuinely don't understand how a competent, functioning, reasonably intelligent adult can have an opinion so different than yours, actually try to understand before you try to refute it. Try to understand what they've seen, what they're looking at, what they're reading, and then what they're really saying. Don't make assumptions that just because I say masks don't work that I'm the guy out here, like, protesting in the street. I'm not. I'm, I'm looking at data. I still wear the stupid thing. I hate every second of it. I don't understand it, and I do my best to keep the thing sanitized and clean. But I still want to look at the data and be able to say competently of, well, at least I'm doing this for a reason, and right now I'm not. So let's engage, let's talk more, and maybe we'll both learn something and we'll both be better off for it. It's a crazy idea. Love it. On Is that, that enlightened no, enough? No. That was Shut perfect. up. That's all I got, man. Perfect. No, it's perfect. That was perfect. I'm sorry. On that note, though, we are going to move into our uh, guest interview. Again, Chuck Williams, uh, software developer and uh, co-host of The Crypto Show. Uh, you guys check him out at thecryptoshow.com. You can kind of get some information there. And without any further ado, Chuck Williams and joins Sports Clicks and Politics to talk Bitcoin. I want to welcome to the show a software developer, terrestrial radio and podcast host. He is partner and co-host of The Crypto Show. Ladies and gentlemen, crypto freedom activist, Chuck Williams. Mr. Williams, thank you for joining Sports Clicks and Politics. Um, before we get into the discussion about Bitcoin and crypto, can you tell me what you do as a, uh, a software developer, like professional experiences and such? Sure. Yeah, I've uh, I've been uh, writing online applications uh, since roughly 1998, um, and I'm uh, twice listed as a patent inventor. Uh, if you ever downloaded a photo book from Shutterfly, uh, I'm listed as a patent inventor for that one. And uh, I worked with FedEx on a lot of internal applications um, and the help them to implement the first uh, document upload. If you've ever picked up from a FedEx office. Um, I, you, I wrote the application where you upload the documents and do all the test prints and all that on your screens and uh, uh, worked with a lot of different organizations, National Geographic, the FBI, the CIA, um, just doing online applications and interfaces most of my life. Uh, organizing. And I mentioned uh, you have a, a podcast and a radio show. Uh, where can people folks find that? So, yeah, CryptoShow.com, TheCryptoShow.com. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So... I don't know, as we're talking here Thursday, November 11th, I think it is, Bitcoin's hitting uh, price levels it probably hasn't seen since 2018, I think, uh, above 16,000. Do you think we're going to have a, a, a Thanksgiving melt-up 2.0 with the uh, price move right here before Thanksgiving, even though most people won't be able to celebrate Thanksgiving like they normally do? Right, yeah. You know, I, I, um, I, I consider myself an amateur chartist, and... Uh, 
I feel the energy, uh, the momentum is definitely up right now, but I, I, I'm, I gotta be hesitant and cautious. I think there's still a chance we can see a dip, but I'm, I'm a believer in Bitcoin. It's, it's gonna, we'll see six figures eventually. It's just a matter of when. It could be very sudden, um, but it could be at a couple years yet. So, uh, I play the long game when it comes to that stuff. Hoddle, yeah, right, gotcha. So, so if, if we do have that, if we go back to whatever it was a couple years ago when Bitcoin was doing this during Thanksgiving, a lot of people were exposed to Bitcoin for the first time, and I'm assuming that'll happen again here. So how do you respond to somebody when they say, you know, I don't understand Bitcoin. You know, I don't get it. I don't want to put my money in there. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to waste it. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to be that guy who, who's the sucker. So how, how do you tell people the story of Bitcoin to the person who is, uh, you know, completely new to Bitcoin? Yeah, I always try and connect with wherever they're at, you know, and and I try to make the story personal. For me, I came across Bitcoin because as a software developer, I have this big dream for a project that I want to build that needed a thing that I didn't know how to build until I came across Bitcoin. And the thing that I needed was a database that couldn't be changed, what's called an immutable database. And for me, Bitcoin provided a way to do that. And it was the first thing I was looking for years as a software developer, trying to figure out a way, how can we have a database that cannot be changed because of any transactions that cannot be altered? That's what Bitcoin is. It's a global ledger that cannot be altered because there's thousands of computers backing it by cryptographic math that prevent changes from historical transactions. Imagine if your bank opened up their books and said, hey, here's every transaction that we've ever done. That's what Bitcoin is. It's a public open source ledger run by public open source software that is also a currency. That's the most succinct way I'd put it. All right. And so where did Bitcoin come from? You know, what, what, what was the uh, history of Bitcoin? You know, what, what was the necessity and, and why is it important? Yeah, the Satoshi Nakamoto, the mysterious creator that nobody knows who they are, um, you know, could be a man, could be a woman, could be a group of people. Some, think, some people think it's the NSA. Some people think it was a CIA, CIA. I think it was probably just an individual who was sick and tired of being screwed over by the banks. I don't know how, how much language you'll allow here, but... Um, Um, because the first uh, the the genesis block includes a little piece of data uh, that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto plugged in there, the creator of Bitcoin Uh, again, nobody knows who this person is, but what we do know about Satoshi Nakamoto, and there's a lot of writings out on the internet about, you know, his his or her perspectives, or their perspectives on, on what should and should not be their perspective was that banks should not be, essentially banks, bailouts for banks government money fronting the bill by taxpayers uh to 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 pay for the banks to just keep on doing what they're doing in a a broken system that doesn't help people like it used to that is what bitcoin was constructed to to replace with a deflationary uh currency that cannot be inflated there is a cap on the number of bitcoin that will exist and beautifully each one of those bitcoin can be divided into a million pieces but there aren't enough bitcoin in in the world for each millionaire to own one which to me indicates you know there there is a scarcity there um that has never existed in any digital product before you can take mp3s and music and original pieces of work and copy them all day long but you cannot copy a bitcoin you can create what's called a fork 
where the history is 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 stored, and that's where Bitcoin Cash and some other currencies, cryptocurrencies that have Bitcoin in the name, they share a history. And they're forked off. Their 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 old trails lead back to that same Genesis block from Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, but that's one of the reasons I think is very important because there are very few scarce things. Bitcoin is more scarce than gold. Bitcoin is more scarce than platinum. Uh, there there is there is no digital resource that is as scarce as Bitcoin, and that alone should make it valuable for those who want to use it as a currency to exchange value among people. Uh, and that's that's one of the most beautiful things I see about it. But what's even beyond that, as a software developer, from my perspective, it's open source. There's no company, there's no corporation, there's no government, there's no organization, there's no throat to choke who can put the kill switch on Bitcoin. It was released into the wild, and now it cannot be shut down unless all the miners agree, all those thousands of miners running the Bitcoin software agree to shut it down. You can't even change it unless they agree to accept it. So it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a hardened system of value, I think, that, that exists globally and doesn't care about borders, can't be censored, uh, you can't stop it, and as long as you hold your private key, nobody can take it from you. So, Chuck, let me follow up with you on the uh, scarcity aspect, because I think there is a common, I'll call it misconception, that we can just continually create more Bitcoin. So while it is scarce right now, it may not be forever, and, and there's nothing to stop people from just creating more. Could you speak to that for a minute, please? So, there, I will give in, and I will say, you know what? People can create copies of Bitcoin all day long, but... There's this thing that people forget, in, and, 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 and the sad thing is a lot of technologists actually forget this, is that the technology itself is worthless unless people value it, and that is what we call network effect in the system. If you have more than one person, uh, dozens of people, hundreds of people, your friends, once you have a community of people who are willing to use this thing as a, a unit of exchange or a unit of account, that's the network that has an effect of creating more value. The network effect is value when you have a network of people who are willing to exchange that value. The scarcity aspect is, is just an attractor for people, but the fact that it can be globally exchanged and can't be stopped by banks and won't be held up for three days and won't cannot go negative and uh, won't receive insufficient fund fees in your accounts and things like that, those are the kinds of things that, that network effect brings back. Uh, uh, and and that's the social aspect. Once you once you have enough people uh, and and community engaged in a thing, well, then it's part of the social atmosphere. Then it's part of the community. Then it's part of the nation. Then it's part of the world. Then it's part of the whole economy. And the economy is really just people making decisions. So once you have that economic machine going, and you have enough people in their minds valuing it. It's the only way it's going to go away is if you have all of those people decide, well, it's not valuable anymore. And I'm not saying that that couldn't happen, but it's really unlikely. Once you have a thing that's valuable in exchange, it takes decades to, to, to get millions of people to devalue a thing. Yeah, look at our currency. Um, sorry, that one was just one. <laughs> right, right, minimum. <laughs> All right, uh, so the next question I get a lot is about the security. Now, a lot of people have concerns about it because there are no banks, because there are no governments. They assume that it cannot be as safe 
as what we're dealing with currently. What is your response on that? Yeah, you know, um, I was presenting at a, um, a meeting one time, and I was I was talking about the fundamentals of Dash, which which uh, is a fork of Bitcoin, by the way, but um, it doesn't share the the data history. It shares the code base. Uh, anything that you can do on Bitcoin, you can do in Dash, and and um, that's that's a whole aside. But in that audience, there was an elder gentleman, elderly gentleman, and uh, he was asking a similar question. He was like, you know, what if what if what if I get hacked? What if you know what if my funds get stolen and, and you know who do I go to and I you know I want to you know there's got to be somebody I can talk to, to 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 help me recover my funds and things like that and you know I I addressed him I said sir you are asking for a custodian and the the whole premise of the cryptocurrency movement Satoshi Nakamoto was basically saying look we are removing the risk of centralization of of having a custodian of somebody that you have to go to to ask for permission to get your money back or ask for permission to move your funds from here to there that's what that's exactly what we are removing there is no custodian we are cryptocurrency at its core is a non-custodial uh, asset it is something that you are supposed to be the custodian of yourself and 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 it's basically as simple as write down your private key and keep it private keep it safe write down a couple copies laminate it bury it in your backyard there's things that you can do to keep your cryptocurrency safe that's the basic thing is write down your private words so that you don't lose it it's estimated that 30 percent of all the bitcoin on the chain right now is lost it's locked up and will never be removed because it's just lost but there's ways to prevent that you get things like a hardware wallet and that gives you mobility and portability things like a keep key or Another one here. Where is it? Or a treasure. Okay. A keep key or a treasure. These are hardware wallets that don't hold the cryptocurrency. They act as secure tools and uh, uh, access systems for the chains. This is if you really want to be secure, you want to handle millions and billions of dollars. This is what you do it with. Because the thing is, if I lose this. No problem, because you know what? I got my, my wallet words. I got my words written down, and I can buy one of these and get my money back right on one of these as long as I've got my private key, as long as I've got those words written down. So, yes, there's some new things that people will have to learn. Just like when we got the Internet, people had to learn how to save passwords, right? And, and, and people are insecure with that. Uh, there are tools that you can use to help that get easier. And it's not easy right now. The Internet wasn't easy in the beginning. Cryptocurrency is still in its beginning. It's still not easy. Um, but it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier to use. Uh, and that's why I recommend tools like the Edge Wallet. I think the Edge Wallet is a great system that allows you to recover your password and your crypto. Uh, and they do it in such a way that's non-custodial. You create a backup of your password, and you can, and they give you recovery mechanisms that most other systems don't have. Um, but there's and there's and there's a lot of different kinds of tools like that. But yeah, password management and key management, I think, is going to be the industry of the future for these kinds of um, concerns, these kinds of security concerns, especially for institutions and organizations. And I've heard it compared uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency that is to. Uh when email first came out of the scene, right? Like nobody figured, nobody knew how email worked, but the message got there and got back to you and everybody kind of adapted and figured it out. Um, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but I feel like 
new technologies come on to uh, the people at different times in their lives, and they uh, you know adapt according to their abilities. I guess. Um, right. You you mentioned Dash and Forks. Uh, let's talk about additional cryptocurrencies. There seems to be I don't know, probably ten more came onto the market before the show started here. I, there, there's so many. Um, how, how do you separate? something that might be a worthwhile project, uh, something that people should be even remotely interested? How do they compare to Bitcoin? How are they different? Um, you know, talk, I don't know if there's, if you want to talk about the difference between a fork and just a separate different blockchain altogether or something like Ethereum, like how, Mr. How, how Ben had talked about Ethereum. Um, take, take it away with cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. Yeah. So, you know, because I play the long game, I'm, I'm interested in, um, uh, what's going to be valuable to humanity long term? Um, you know, a lot of people are interested in the short game, and you can play that game, and you can play it well, and you can make a lot of money doing that. But I don't have that kind of attention, like to to I don't have that kind of time to be spending, you know, watching the every single exchange, doing arbitrage, all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of different way, kind of ways to make money. But if you're if you're like me and you don't and you don't have a lot of time to be watching the charts and moving money here and there and trying to make trades and learning how to trade cryptocurrency and all that and you just want to buy something and hodl or occasionally trade on the swings over months or weeks or years even um you know i'm looking for things that again that that all of humanity is going to value for various reasons i think um bitcoin is the grandfather everything kind of stems from the from the ideas of bitcoin and when when some of those qualities i've already mentioned open source meaning I can get into the code and I can tweak the code or I can, uh, you know, I can I can download it and I can play with it and I can understand every single bit of how it works. That's that's key. If you if, if, if it's not open source, I, I wouldn't even touch it. You know, um, now there are some closed source uh, uh, systems of software. I, th- I don't know if EOS is completely sourced. Actually, I don't know any closed sources. I don't. I just once I find out they're closed source, I, they just they just exit my mind. <laughs> so I'm looking for open source. Um, I'm also looking for some kind of uh, strong security mechanism. Um, in Bitcoin, that's uh, the proof of work mechanism, where um, essentially every computer that runs the software proves that it has done the work of, of, of what's called the, the hash, the SHA-256 hash mechanism. And the hash is what's used at the core of the, of the cryptographic security to uh, create each transaction, to create the wallets, um, and, and all of these uh, different mechanisms. Um, but then I get into the social aspect. Once, that, once I've confirmed that a, that a cryptocurrency is open source and it has basic security mechanisms of some kind to validate its transactions, then I'm getting into, okay, well, what, are the, what, are there, what is it bringing to the space that's, that's different than Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is a, um, in my opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a slow-moving mechanism. It's, it, each block is only 10 minutes. So, and, and they recommend that you wait for six confirmations, that is six blocks to pass. So you may have to wait up to an hour to really call a uh, transaction locked in. 
And so stepping away from that, I might want to say, okay, well, what can go faster than that? And that's where Dash comes in for sure, because Dash built one of the innovations that they brought back in 2014 was um, what they call instant send transactions. And they, what they and I won't go into the technology of that, but that's one thing that that I found really valuable about Dash was the instant send. And they also had this other thing called private send, where you could mix your coins on chain and anonymize your holdings on the network. Um, so those were kind of, I thought those were valuable things. So, so um, and, and I would compare that with like uh, Monero, where every single transaction is by default uh, 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 private. Uh, in Dash, it's you opt into the privacy. You actually have to do a little bit of effort to make your transactions private. But by default, they're called what we call pseudonymous in the industry. There's, they're, they're anonymous unless somebody's able to uh, track your nose to a particular uh, wallet. And all, in case anybody doesn't know, all the wallets on the chain are, are public. Uh, any cha- any transaction that happens on the network is is public, and but you, they, nobody knows who you are until you identify yourself. And there's there's some sneaky mechanisms out there where websites are trying to track and see who has cryptocurrencies. There's even websites out there that are trying to mine. So, and Monero was notoriously one of those where there's a lot of hacks on websites where they would use your CPU on a website to mine. But anyway, coming back to valuing different cryptocurrencies, I'm looking for the open source. I'm looking for the different tools that they bring to humanity, whether that's privacy or speed of transaction or other things. But then there's also the network effect that I'm looking for is how do they bring people in how do they attract people what's how, what's what's the social aspect that they're bringing and I've, I've seen some really interesting projects in that way there's one called um, uh, I can't remember the name of it plastic token or plastic coin or something like that where they um, they had set up a, a network of recycling centers uh, and they would um, essentially they went to these third world countries and they would uh, uh, establish these recycling centers and uh, offer the, this token in exchange for um, recyclable materials. So people in these, um, uh, you know, uh, distressed communities could walk their beaches that were littered with plastic, bring them, and get paid in these tokens. And then they would take these tokens in these communities to pay for things like school and um, you know household supplies and things like that. To me, that's a that's a that's a very um, uh, interesting way to to bring value to a community by just creating these ideas. So those are the kinds of things that I look for. Is what is what is it bringing to humanity? And there's a lot of different chains like that that they're doing cleanup and permaculture projects that are token based. There's um, there's a few that are agriculturally based that are tracking um, you know uh, food production and, and enabling logistics and things like that. I'm really excited about the idea of provenance and being able to go to the grocery store and, and scan um, uh, some food and and see where every single ingredient came from and that it was sustainably farmed or, or sustainably produced or whatever. I think that's going to bring a lot of value to the grocery stores when the first provenance marked item shows up so those are the things that i'm looking for is, is what are they bringing to the to the community beyond just another financial asset um and that's one of the actually reasons why i'm a little bit 
I've been avoiding the whole um, DeFi thing. This whole, you know, it, there, there, I, I honestly don't know much about it other than you can stake your tokens and, and some people are making money staking their tokens, but it's high risk and you don't hold your keys. You don't hold your tokens when you stake them in this way with these with these DeFi communities, which uh, which stands for decentralized finance. Uh, people are offering loans. You can loan your crypto, um, but there's other institutions that do that all, uh, already. Like you, if you have crypto and you want cash, you can go to a, like a Salt Lending or a Celsius and uh, put up your Bitcoin or Dash or Ethereum and get a loan, a cash loan that then you can pay back. And if, you, and if the value of your crypto drops, the value of your collateral drops, they claim uh, a percentage or, or all of it. Um, so there's risk there. But, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of new economic models and markets and all this kind of stuff that are coming out with these different tokens. And I'm just looking for the, the, the holes in our economy that need to be filled. And the biggest holes I see is essentially anything that government's involved in um, and anything that central banking is involved in. So I want those to be replaced. And so you touched on some of this, or I guess where I want to take it next is what's the future of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin? So you mentioned some of the projects that were uh, interesting to you. What are some of the holes that you think you see that uh, haven't been filled yet? Anything? Yeah. So um, I think there's too much focus on finance. You know, it's a currency, so it's attracting a lot of a lot of money folk. You know, you know, a lot of finance people are are the first. Well, let's say the second wave, I think, of cryptocurrency right behind the early innovators and technologists was the financial market, I think. And I think after the financial market, we're going to start seeing other markets uh, niche by niche, community by community, um, as crypto applies to those communities. But the, I think the, one of the biggest holes that I'm personally trying to you know, fill in, in this space is um, purpose, meaning. Uh, what do I want to do with my life? Uh, how can I get paid? Where, where can I get work? Um, what's valuable to the world? Uh, I think if, if there's um, a way that we can take the, the work of the world, the effort of the world, and direct it to the places where people need that effort applied, uh, cryptocurrency is a great place to do that because uh, I believe you can build a meritocracy on top of that. There's what we call reputation systems that are, that are to me, one of the most interesting aspects that I think are still yet undeveloped. But these reputation systems are going to, I mean, they, we could end up in a world like Black Mirror. I don't know if you've, you've ever seen that episode where this girl kind of goes through her life and she's always like socially judged by everyone and everybody around her because of her score on this on this global system that nobody can hide from. Uh, that's a world that I'm trying to actually avoid because I think one of the principles of this whole thing is that you should be able to opt out at any time. And that's one of the problems with central banks and governments is we won't, we don't really get an option to opt out. Where's my opt-out option to government? Where's my opt-out option as a taxpayer? Where's my opt-out option as a, 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 a person who wants to... Uh, buy property or get a mortgage or whatever. I, I, I have to go through a bank. I, you know, unless I have a rich friend who's willing to loan me, my options aren't good. And you can opt out of the American system of government as a taxpayer, but it costs a lot of money uh, to, to, to get out of that system. You have to literally buy your way out. Um, and, and not many people know that. But nevertheless, 
I think opting out makes a free market. If you can opt out, then you really have a true free market. And that's what I want to see. I want to see more free markets. I want to see competing currencies. I want to see um, competing uh, companies for my work, for my effort. Anybody who can swing a hammer, there's people out there who want you to swing that hammer, but you just don't know the market because you don't have a place to put it. Well, if we had a hammer swinging market that was backed by a blockchain, every single contract to swing that hammer could be locked in uh, ahead of time, and you know the goals of how many ha- hammer time, how many times you got to swing that hammer before you get paid, uh, and that can be by the day, by the minute, by the hour, by the month, uh, or by the project. You know, with specific goals. Um, so I think I think there's, we're just going to see more dynamism around work and employment and projects and goals and meaning and purpose, and that's that's what I'm trying to pay attention to is who's who's really trying to. Uh, get the mind space of humanity into the problems of humanity and and meet those things in the middle with work and effort and attention. That's terrific. Uh, Chuck, let me let me go down a little bit of a related path with you. I, I hear from a lot of people that are confused by it, so I'm going to ask you, for someone that is intrigued, who should own cryptocurrency and why would any individual person want to? Like, what are the advantages in, you know, level one out of ten, very, very basic? What would somebody want to own crypto? What is the advantage to them here and now? So, you know, one of the, um, I, I can't remember who said it, but there's there's one movement out there called Get Off Zero when it comes to Bitcoin. Just get off zero. If you're at zero percent of your portfolio allocation, just get greater than zero. And so the answer to who should own it is anybody who's at zero. If you're if you're if you own zero crypto, just get some. At least that way you'll be able to gauge your interest uh, and and have have a stake, have some skin in the game in this new economy that's that's kind of growing. Um, and and why would you do that? Well, first off, I mean you don't. You, you don't want to miss out on this because it's not very often that a not only life-changing but macroeconomic global event changes everything. I mean, this is, we're talking at the level of, hey, guess what? We have electricity now. We don't have to um, pipe propane to every home. Or, hey, guess what? We have vehicles now. We don't have to continue to breed horses in the same way and clean up shit in the middle of the road. Uh, there, it, it, it just offers options. You know, we can keep our horses. Those are great. I mean, I like horses and we can keep our propane. That's great. It's, it's better for a specific purpose, but Hey, if you want something that you can transact in globally, or you want something that the government can't take from you, or you want to be able to travel and not have to register your $10,000 when you get off the plane in Russia, then this is what you want. You want something that you don't have to claim that where, where it's, unconfiscatable if you treat it right uh that's anybody who has means anybody who's going to travel anybody who's under the threat of of taxation from government anybody who uh has wealth that they want to protect these are reasons why you would hold it uh, beyond you know just you know being engaged in a community which is i think another good reason you can get engaged with these communities uh, in your hometown, there are people who are interested. You can have, I mean, before the whole COVID, I swear, I think this is why the COVID thing started. They wanted people to stop having Bitcoin meetups because <laughs> it was happening too fast. <laughs> 
and the banks couldn't catch up, and the and the and the legislation couldn't keep up. So they had to do something. That's why they're banging. That's why they're banning Thanksgiving too. I'm, I'm piggybacking right on there. They're trying to slow the information. They're trying to slow people, the network effect. They're literally trying to put the brakes on network effect. That's my theory. And call it a conspiracy tinfoil hat all you want, but I can't think of any other reason that the that the all of the governments or you know, a majority of governments and a majority of banks and the World Economic Forum are don't get together. Because they don't want you talking about the opportunities that exist for people to gain their own freedom and get out and opt out of these systems of control that is government and banking and all of these economic systems where they siphon off value because they can't siphon off value out of of that. And once a majority of people are on there, the the tipping point is over. Uh, But they're trying to buy time to release their own cryptocurrency. They want a Fed coin. They want a tax coin. They want to be able to have something where they can just shut down your account or force you to spend money within 30 days so they can pump up the M2 velocity on the economic models. So that's, I mean, there's a whole lot more reasons why, but I mean, those are the ones that just come off the top of my head. All right. So this is maybe not necessarily crypto or Bitcoin related, but we talked about the future of maybe the technology uh, blockchain. This is kind of something I was just thinking of as we were talking, but in with the current political climate of voting is there a blockchain voting future that uh, might give us something more secure and uh, credible and trustworthy that we have uh, other than we have now thoughts yeah as a matter of fact um i i uh was working with um the free and equal project to create a, a blockchain voting project um that that fizzled out a little bit, but I, I do want to pick that up because I think the Nexus platform is a great platform to do such a thing on. There, the it's very privacy oriented, um, and there's a there's 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 a lot of good reasons to use that. But yes, for sure, I think if people want to continue voting, um, I think we can open up a lot of better options than electoral colleges um, that are fragile um, to decide elections uh, to decide. A lot of different things. If if you still want to do a democratic voting system, I think we'll probably be able to evolve out of you know what in voluntarist communities is called rule by mob, which is what democracy could be called, um, into a meritocracy where people with merit who have the skills in a certain area, their votes are weighted a little more, or you can allocate your vote. Um, or you can uh, vote with money and uh, effort. Uh, there's a lot of different options. The quadratic voting has been experimented. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can we can add dimensions to what we vote on, why we vote, to uh, get a clearer picture rather than just a binary yes or no on any individual candidate. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are already issue voting. What if we could create a system where candidates aligned themselves with issues and the candidates most aligned with issues would receive uh, a seat uh, for based on how communities voted on the issues and not the candidates? Right. Then it's yeah. not a personality contest. Uh, it's just a provable way to look at people's re- voting records if they're members of Congress or, or um, you know, other p- uh, public yeah. seats. Yeah, it seems like we might be heading into a uh, uh, a need for a uh, uh, 
a change of the way we vote. And uh, I don't know, the, the more opportunity uh, or the more uh, options uh, seem the better to me. Uh, Mr. Williams, yeah. uh, I, before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't cover that we missed? Uh, something that you thought that we didn't cover enough? Uh, something that uh, you find important that that I may not have touched on? No, yeah, you guys made a good swing around the horn. I, uh, I guess the only thing that I would say is, um, you know, I think it, just to just to kind of wrap up that electoral discussion, I think this particular election that we're in right now, late 2020, you know, the the whole vote count things and all this and that, I I think a lot of people are going to wake up from this from this particular instance, and I and I I'm really hopeful that, that uh, you know when not if but when some kind of voting uh, blockchain opportunity comes up that it will be received. I think it's actually going to be rejected by the systems of control, the banks and the and the governments. They're going to reject it. Um, so it's going to have to be a groundswell. It's going to have to be a grassroots effort. It's yeah. not going to. The change won't come from the government or anybody involved in there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, Mr. Williams. Thank you for your time. Uh, I will let you uh, go. Uh, maybe make look at your price action of your dash and your uh, bitcoin and uh count your green screens i guess so thank you again and uh hopefully we'll uh, touch base again in the future thanks sean it's great having uh, being here thank you thank you all right so with that we'll see everybody next week thank you again for tuning in sports clicks and politics